Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Tune in every week as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues. And if you like what you hear, subscribe. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of May 31st, including... Canada recommits $27 million to help Indigenous communities locate residential school victims. Patios before pupils and the TSX breaking participation records. The NBA Foundation makes a substantial donation to Black youth in Toronto and Montreal. Could X University be the newest university in town? Tom Hanks, an ally for the Black community? Really? And plenty more. To kick off our politics segment, after about five days of silence, not to mention the UN calling Justin Trudeau out for not establishing next steps sooner, the federal government announced it'll distribute $27 million to help Indigenous communities locate the victims of genocide. Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Carolyn Bennett said on Wednesday that the $27 million will be available immediately to help Indigenous communities research missing children, hire archaeological search companies, and honor the dead. The money comes from $33.8 million set aside in the 2019 budget for these purposes. The schools operated across the country from 1831 to 1996, and to date, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has determined that over 4,100 children died while attending residential school. Chief Commissioner Murray Sinclair recently said that the actual number could actually be way higher, above 20,000. During the same announcement, government ministers asked Roman Catholics to demand a papal apology for the church's role in the schools and release all records on those it operated. More on that later. Hours later, the Archbishop of Vancouver, J. Michael Miller, apologized for the violence and devastation caused by Catholic-run schools. In a statement, he vowed to be fully transparent with any records under his control and offer technological and mental health support to find and honor students who died, saying, quote, if words of apology for such unspeakable deeds are to bring life and healing, they must be accompanied by tangible actions that foster the full disclosure of the truth. End quote. I couldn't agree more. The UN Human Rights Office echoed those sentiments last week, calling on Canada to conduct an exhaustive investigation of all unmarked grave sites to find missing children. Spokeswoman Marta Hurtado singled out Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for a lack of action, saying his response, quote, is not yet clear, well, at that time it wasn't, and offered the assistance of the UN expert mechanism for the rights of Indigenous peoples. In reaction to criticism of the government's slow response, Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller said, people would spurn any, quote, grand pronouncement from the federal government during such a painful time. He went on to say, we have to recognize that people are hurting. We can absolutely reflect on the slowness of reconciliation, but now is a time where people are in pain. 
they're hurting. We need to respect that process, alluding to not wanting to make any grand pronouncements. In her first news conference since she shocked the world with the discovery of unmarked graves at the Kamloops Indian Residential School, Cook P7 Roseanne Casimir also called for an apology from the Catholic Church, joining the Prime Minister and other leaders across the country. She points out that the missionary order that ran the school has kept its internal records secret and that the remains appear to be of undocumented children in unmarked graves. Quote, we do want an apology, a public apology, not just for us, but for the world. We are holding the Catholic Church to account. There has never been an apology from the Roman Catholics. End quote. As I pointed out, members of the federal cabinet also say they want a papal apology, which is a key call to action in the, or which was a key call to action in the 2015 final report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that the liberal government accepted. In fact, uh, Justin Trudeau asked Pope Francis to issue such an apology a number of years ago while visiting the Vatican. Trudeau said that as a Catholic, he's deeply disappointed by the church's refusal to accept its role in the genocide of Canada's indigenous people, and that now is the time to reach out to parishes, bishops, and cardinals to demand that the institution be held accountable. He also said the government hopes the church will change its position, saying, quote, Truth is at the heart of understanding our past and preventing further damage in the future. We need to have truth before we can talk about justice, healing, and reconciliation. For the NDP's part, MP Charlie Angus said it has been three years since his party brought a motion to Parliament calling for a formal apology from the Catholic Church and for the institution to turn over all documents pertaining to residential schools and he also said he sought to have the church pay the share it owes to survivors under a compensation agreement. In his words, it's been three years and we're still waiting. So, Patience, do you think this new round of pressure will work? I don't. This kind of feels like we're shifting blame a little bit. I think so, too. I'm, I'm not really sure. Like, I, I understand, obviously, the role that the Roman Catholic Church played in the the devastation that is the residential school system. However, the, <laughs> there were so many prime ministers who gave that power to the Roman Catholic Church and, you know, uh, stood by the system. I, I heard that the Vatican even destroyed a number of the documents pertaining to the residential school system because they don't care. Like, and frankly, when you when, when you entrust your entire education system or your your assimilation of 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 people that you've colonized to a um, to a religious institution, then it, it isn't that your fault? <laughs> like, I I, I don't I, I don't I, I sorry I I get the push for an apology from the Roman Catholic Church absolutely. The, the push for compensation, I, I find a little a, a, a little bit of a stretch because Canada has yet to, to do that in terms of um, reparations. We, we know that obviously um, the, the, the country's relationship with status, indigenous peoples does include some stuff, but, but we, we continue to have an issue when it comes to providing clean water on indigenous reserves you know what i mean like they're calling for compensation feels feels like a stretch for a country that hasn't done its part yet what do you think what popped in my head just now is i feel like i just saw 
an example of an indigenous group literally getting reparations. Oh. But obviously I, I don't have the specific details, so I can't speak on it. If I may, like, I think getting one group, like one band getting, or, or band council or group getting reparations for, you know, land having been stolen or labor having been used without payment is different than than what I think should be a nationwide series of reparations to all indigenous communities that were forced into uh, quote, Indian residential schools, end quote. You know what I mean? I do. I do. I guess my, so do you, do you, so you don't think that that's coming at all? I th- I think that it's important in, in this initial reaction from the government to, I think it's important that everyone focus on what the government can do um, in terms of compensation rather than focus so much on the Roman Catholic church when it comes to compensation. So, so I guess, I guess I, I'm not, I'm not commenting at all on whether or not this will happen. I just find the shift in attention to the, to the Catholic church a little bit disturbing. And I find it to be a little bit of a distraction. Yeah. I'm hesitant for a number of reasons because yeah, when I, when I first saw the article, I had the exact same reaction you did, which was, you know, wh- why does it seem like we're like misplacing blame here or, sh- or shifting blame here. Right. But I mean, as you and I both know, like the way that the, 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 the publishing media works in particular is that they'll take a sentence that Trudeau or somebody said and make an entire article out of it. And, and that one article is, you know, that one sentence is a part of a whole monologue that he could have given. Right. So that's true. This article may not reflect the full story. And then there's also the, the, the underlying reality that, getting the apology from the Pope actually is extremely important because it's literally one of the recommendations from the TRC. Absolutely. The the apology is not, is not so much my issue as the compensation is because I do think like we have other ways of getting compensation from the Roman Catholic church because the the Roman Catholic church operates in our country and Mm they operate as a, as nonprofit organizations and we can change that. Like, you know what I mean? Like we don't have to be like begging the Vatican to give money. You know, like I just find that, I, I find that to be a bit of a stretch. I agree. Totally agree with the apology. Just in case the pressure doesn't work, more than a dozen lawyers from across Canada have formally requested the ICC, the International Criminal Court, to investigate the Canadian government and the Vatican for crimes against humanity. If it happens, the investigation could lead to the prosecution of, quote, employees, agents, and actors, end quote, of both the Catholic Church and the government of Canada, who were involved in either the creation and or cover-up of the burial grounds, according to Calgary lawyer Brendan Miller, who would potentially be leading that coalition. So there's that. Oh, and the final word. Last week, we told you about Bill C-5, a bill creating a statutory holiday to reflect on the tragic legacy of residential schools in Canada. I'm happy to say that it's become law. So September 30th is now going to be a form of Truth and Reconciliation Day. I don't know what the exact term is yet. I don't know if there is actually. There probably is a term yet. I just just don't know it uh, for the rest of time. Jumping to our next story in politics. After deliberations following Cabinet's Policy and Priorities Committee meeting Monday evening, as The Globe put it, Ontario's 2 million public school students will learn remotely for the last four weeks of the school year as the Ford government seeks to keep its reopening plans for summer on track. 
rather than have them return to the classroom and slow it down. Or as the Toronto Star put it, patios before pupils. Speaking on the issue, Ford said these aren't risks he's willing to take since returning kids and teachers back to school before they're vaccinated would lead to more COVID cases. According to a senior unnamed government source, the government's logic is to get cases down and get to step one as fast as possible, which would be delayed by opening schools. That's true, since the Star reported that public health officials like Dr. Aileen Davia advised Ford that schools could only reopen if the broader economy remained closed for at least two extra weeks. Bad news for the youths and their parents, too. Yep. But being mindful that parents and kids were looking forward to returning to class after 23 weeks of remote learning, the longest in Canada, by the way, hmm. the officials stressed that there's much more to reopening the economy than just allowing patio and outdoor dining. Quote, retail shops opening at only 15% capacity will help over a million people have a shot at a personal recovery, too, while kids can now gather in groups of up to 10 outdoors. Getting to step one and step two, when services like barbershops and hair and nail salons can open again as soon as possible, helps the most people in the biggest ways, end quote. And he's not wrong. Only 26% of Ontarians have children in the school system, after all, with 14% in elementary school. Ford had to weigh that cohort literally against everyone else that would be affected if the economy remained closed. But what about the parents seeking a break, like patients described last week? What's, what's the premier doing to get students out of the house for summer or after a long few months of being cooped up? He said they'd work on a plan to get kids to summer and day camps as soon as possible. But what about those who can't afford summer camp? To me, this seems like a return to not listening to what most relevant experts are saying, considering the science table and others were pretty clear that the best option was to allow local regions to open based on local conditions. We know that's what Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca's position was, as well as the Hospital for Sick Kids and the Ontario Medical Association. Then there's the stark warning from a new report released last week finding that school closures have, quote, multidimensional consequences, end quote, on kids' mental and physical health and more, but perhaps worse, it'll hurt Ontario's financial future. Each month of skill loss results in a drop in lifetime earnings for affected cohorts and, quote, is estimated to decrease the national income by 0.5% in GDP per year or $1.6 trillion. Whoa. As a haphazard olive branch to students and their parents, Ford said every school would be able to do, quote, outdoor graduation ceremonies for all students, not just those in grade 8 and 12. Now, patience. My question to you is, do you think Doug Ford, who has no more than a grade 10 education and who can barely read, do you think he cares about education prospects and future economic prosperity of this province? Should I take that as a no? That was hilarious. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Anyway. Ontario is also accelerating second doses of COVID-19 vaccinations to focus on hotspots of the more contagious Delta variant developing in Peel, Toronto, and Waterloo. Starting Monday, June 7th at 8 a.m., those turning 70 or older this year can begin booking appointments at mass clinics a week ahead of schedule. Same with anyone who got a first shot on or before April 18th. They can get their shot three weeks ahead of schedule as well. 
This is being made possible by the more than 8 million doses of Pfizer vaccine due in Ontario by the end of July and another 193,000 from Moderna. Ontario is also allowing mixing of vaccines, particularly so that if you got the AstraZeneca vaccine first, you can get another type as your booster. And finally, currently, Ontario sits at 59.5% of people who have gotten their first shot or 73.7% of the adult population. Jumping to the Canadian economy, the TSX broke its 20,000 point ceiling for the first time in history. And analysts like Barry Schwartz, chief investment officer at Baskin Wealth, say it happened since Canada's economy is resource intensive and since just about every one of our resources are high in demand right now, including oil and gas. As he put it, quote, lumber, a barrel of oil, copper, gold, anything you can drop onto your foot that would hurt is going up in price, end quote, adding, this is the TSX's time to outperform. At 20,000 points, the TSX has now gained more than 78% from the low of 11,228. It closed that in March 2020. So what are some of the details of this rally? Pushing oil higher is the fact that economies are reopening and therefore expanding, which requires the use of more energy, which pushes the price of oil up. For reference, Canadian energy stocks like Suncor, Crescent Point, Baytex, and Canadian Natural Resources were all higher on oil's surge. As for the loonie, it was stronger because of oil too, reaching 83.9 cents US when markets closed on Wednesday. Although it fluctuated above and below the 83% or the 83 cent level for several days, before this week, it hadn't surpassed 83 cents since 2015. Hmm. And here's another indicator for the surge. TMX Group, which operates the TSX, says retail investor participation rose to 45% of total equities trading in January from 35% a year ago. That resulted in 20 million shares changing hands in January across various TSX exchanges, as opposed to 11.3 million shares last January. As CEO John McKenzie says, quote, the positive strength in trading and what's driving it in terms of retail interest is something that we could see for some time, end quote. That extra 10% of investors, you know, just hope you're making the right trades. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Moving on to blackity black black news. 
This week, on June 2nd, the NBA Foundation announced a $500,000 grant to CEE, an organization that addresses economic and social barriers affecting Black youth through workforce development, education, and advocacy. C, which is Black and women-led, aims to create a society and economy in which Black youth achieve financial prosperity and a high quality of life for themselves and their families to contribute to the advancement of Canada. C will actually be leading the Collective Impact Project, comprised of three organizations, the other two are Desta Black Youth Network and the MLSC Launchpad, working in collaboration to build Black opportunity for Black youth across Canada. The half a million dollar grant is the first in Canada and will support youth in Toronto and Montreal. So congratulations to the C Center for Young Black Professionals, as they are the first Canadian grant recipient for a grant from the NBA Foundation. That's excellent. Earlier in the episode, Curtis gave you government reactions to the mass grave at the Kamloops Indigenous Residential School. And I'm going to give you some perspective from other organizations that are experiencing um, some blowback from this as well. Mm-hmm. So Ryerson University is said to start going by the name X University to acknowledge the role of Egerton Ryerson in residential schooling in Canada. Does Professor X go there too? I'm kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Some students and staff at Ryerson, namely members of the Ryerson think tank, the Yellowhead Institute, are now refusing to call the university Ryerson University and are calling it X University due to its namesake's connection to the residential school system. They have gone as far as removing it from all their email signatures and resumes. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, I just pictured that. That's wild. It's anyway. a real thing. Like I, I, I myself am a student. Uh, I'm, I'm completing my PhD at Ryerson and mm-hmm. I also work part-time for Ryerson and mm-hmm. I have received communication confirming, <laughs> confirming that this is a recommendation that people are taking advantage of. Like, what does it look like? Is the logo... Like, what is it? An X? Like... Yeah. <laughs> is this a joke thing? Like, people are just taking out the logo, and in the signature, it says X University. I love it. The Institute includes some context saying that, quote, historically, Indigenous people have signed with an X under conditions that do not fully recognize or honor Indigenous lives. It is a sign of assent under duress, end quote. There have long... And I I mean, long been demands for this university to change its name, as well as remove the very triggering statue of Egerton Ryerson, who was a historical Canadian teacher and minister who was widely credited as the mastermind of Canada's residential school endeavor. Ryerson famously wrote in an 1847 report that, quote, Indigenous peoples cannot be civilized or preserved in a status of civilization except in connection with, if not by the influence of, not only religious instruction and sentiment, but of religious feelings, end quote. To which I respond, shut the fuck up. According to BlogTO, the journalism school has also committed to removing the school's current name from publications. So things like the Ryersonian and the Ryerson Journalism School's quarterly publication will also be renamed in the next academic year. In addition to Egerton Ryerson, another triggering symbol of the residential school system is Sir John A. Macdonald. 
Charlottetown City Council voted to remove a statue of Sir John A. Macdonald, who was, everybody should know, Canada's first prime minister, from a downtown corner because of Macdonald's involvement in setting up the residential school system. This isn't something that's like super, super new, but over the past year, the Charlottetown statue has been splattered with paint and other substances several times, and it was even knocked over once. But on Monday, when the news of the mass grave came out, Indigenous people and allies gathered at the statue for a vigil in honor of the children. Hours later, city council voted to take it down and put it in storage, just like that. Boom. Charlottetown City Councilor uh, Greg Rivard was quoted saying, quote, I see some comments on social media saying that you can't erase history, but I don't think removing a statue erases any history. A statue is symbolic of something, and I don't think right now that the statue is symbolic of the right things. I'd also like to point out that uh, the home of John A. Macdonald, Scotland, had no problem scrubbing his statues from literally their institutions. Absolutely. And they still find a way to commemorate him. So we can do the same. Absolutely. Another institution that is removing Sir John A. Macdonald from its institution is the University of Windsor. The university announced on June 3rd that it will be renaming Macdonald Hall student residence to Residence Hall West. Curtis, do you see how easy that is? It's not easy, fam! Like, the, the, uh. <laughs> they stated pretty clearly. Quote, as elsewhere in Canada, the university acknowledges Sir John A. Macdonald's involvement and support of the residential school system and its negative impact on ethnic and racialized people, particularly the First Nations, Métis, and Inuit communities. End quote. So it, it really is just that easy. I, I'm, I'm going to continue to highlight the moves that other institutions will be making to, to remove the celebration of some of the residential school system's biggest patrons. Please do. Moving on to news from the world. So just as we are still kind of battling with our dark history when it comes to indigenous communities, Americans still insist on silencing black American history. Hmm. This past week was both Memorial Day and the 100 year anniversary of the Tulsa race massacre. Both days highlight the ways in which Americans continue to refuse to speak openly about their history. So let's start with Memorial Day. Yep. This Memorial Day, a veteran tried to credit Black Americans on Memorial Day, crediting them with being one of the first groups to recognize veterans of the Civil War. And this veteran got his mic muted. Like, who does that? Racist. <laughs> Racist. Correct. Uh, so Lieutenant Colonel Bernard Kempter was invited to give a Memorial Day speech in Hudson, Ohio. And as he started to detail how freed black slaves had played an early role honoring fallen soldiers during the Civil War, he found his mic muted. He thought it may have just been a little bit of uh, of some confusion, miscommunication. So he continued to speak, although no one could hear him. And like magic, his mic started working again once he was done with the part where he acknowledged that contribution. <laughs> Can you imagine? Now, look here, Colonel. We don't want you talking about that. Okay, I'm done. Oh, 
soon after the event, Kemter learned from some audience members that he had been intentionally muted by the event's organizers who disapproved of his message. And even worse, he sent them his speech beforehand so they knew exactly when to cut that mic off (laughs) and when to cut it back on. Kemter believed, as any reasonable person would, that it was reasonable to discuss the role of Black Americans on Memorial Day as, quote, Memorial Day was first commemorated by an organized group of Black freed slaves less than a month after the Confederacy surrendered, end quote. And he was quoting research done by David W. Blight, a Yale University researcher. So that's the first story. Uh, If you try to be an ally for Black folks on Memorial Day, you'll get your mic cut off. Second, um, you know, this this year marks a really, really big, a, a really, really devastating anniversary for Black folks in the United States. This year marks 100 years since the Tulsa Race Massacre. And who, of all people, who writes an op-ed about it in the New York Times? Tom Hanks. Yes, th- that's right. I'm just, <laughs> like, all I can think about is Chet, so tell me more. Yeah, yeah. so yes, that's right. The father of the almost Patois-speaking, Black woman-loving Chet Hanks. And if you don't know about Chet Hanks, please Google him so that you can have that discovery on your own. But yes, Tom Hanks writes an op-ed about the Tulsa Race Massacre in the New York Times. In Tom's New York Times piece, he basically talks about how he can't believe that despite being a history major in college, like a, 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 he majored in American history. Like he was supposed to learn this. <laughs> he never even heard about the Tulsa Race Massacre and instead heard of much more mundane historical events, including the Whiskey Rebellion and the founding of the Boston Tea Party. It's almost like, you know, white supremacy was meant to cover people's eyes. Right. Tom Hanks says, quote, But for all my study, I never read a page of any school history book about how in 1921, a mob of white people burned down a place called Black Wall Street, killed as many as 300 of its black citizens, and displaced thousands of black Americans who lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And Hanks goes as far as ending with a call for action at the end of the piece. He says, quote, should our schools now teach the truth about Tulsa? Yes. And they should stop the battle to whitewash curriculums to avoid discomfort for students. Mm -hmm. America's history is messy, but knowing that makes us a wiser and stronger people. 1921 is the truth, a portal to our shared paradoxical history. An American Black Wall Street was not allowed to exist and was burnt to ashes, end quote. Man, I I, got to give it to, to Tom Hanks, but I also have to acknowledge at this point that a Black person writing anything about Tulsa would not have received the amount of widespread attention as something being written by a white man. Correct. Correct. So I'm, I'm saying this with a bit of a, of a tempered celebration because we still have a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Your thoughts on this, Curtis? Yeah. 
I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Um, you know, shout outs to Tom Hanks and Colonel Kenter and white and other non-black folks who are doing their part. It's the way that we bring about change, just the same way that we as black people need to be discussing indigenous issues and, and, and anti-Asian racism. Yes. We all need to be connected. We all need to be empathetic to each other's experiences because again, that's how we bring about change. Moving on to questions for the audience. I recently read that although the percentage of the Canadian population that is Indigenous is only 4.9%, 48% of the children in foster care are Indigenous. The numbers are 2.8% and 25.5%, respectively, for Ontario. This suggests that our foster care system is an extension of the residential school system where children are taken from their parents, taken from their homes, taken from their communities, and often never return. Do you agree that the Canadian foster care system is an extension of the residential school system? You've just listened to episode 61 of The Drip. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at The Drip T.O. You know, we love our many non-Black, non-BIPOC listeners, but a message specifically to our Black listeners, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. See you all next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.